Hello and welcome. This episode is a really special one because it's in honor of the person who got me into podcasting in the first place, Colin Karchner. Colin was really dedicated to improving the mental health of teenagers and families, and he spoke everywhere from TEDx to school auditoriums and church cultural halls and encouraged youth to make meaningful changes in the ways they engaged on social media. I first got to know Colin in June 2020 when he had me on his podcast, which you'll get to listen to here, and I talked about my experience with OCD. I was really devoted to OCD awareness, but at the time, I didn't know whether I'd be able to find the audience to listen to my story. And Colin provided not only the platform, but lots of love and support and encouragement, as you'll hear here. Um, He really helped to push me in my career. And the podcast was posted, and over the next month, my inbox was flooded with tens of messages every day from moms saying they had a kid with OCD and finally had some understanding, or individuals who finally were going to get the right help, everyone from teenagers to people in their late 60s, and Colin is to thank for that. I still get messages to this day from that episode. And on October 20th, 2020, I was shocked to hear that Colin had passed away. I struggled to grasp how someone so influential, someone so dedicated to doing so much good could be taken from us. And it was in this struggle that I realized I had saved a recording of the podcast we did together. And listening back, it it feels like it not only captures my story, but it really captures Colin. His exuberance for learning and mental health, his eager, natural conversation, with so many of his podcasts being deleted and disappeared, I hope to memorialize this one that I have and remember him for the fun, enthusiastic person that he is. So without further ado, this is the recording of my episode on the Colin Karchner podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Colin Carter Podcast, live in studio in Salt Lake City. Thank you so much for joining, for tuning in, bringing you the best information I can as far as parenting, technology, mental health, raising your kids in this crazy world they're growing up in. Thank you so much for tuning in today. All right, so a couple uh, couple days ago, we've been going through all the 80s movies. Uh, so we have a TV. When I talk about being screen-free, I talk about devices. We still have a TV. Uh, we love movie night. And we watched one of my favorite movies ever, a few days ago, and that is a lot of people's favorite movies. What about Bob? Jeez, Bill Murray's one of his greatest. And uh, and for the young people who don't know what that is, shame on you and shame on your parents for not watching this with you yet. But uh, watch What About Bob? And it was perfect timing because I've been lining up guests to come in and speak, uh, to talk with, to interview on the Colin Karcher podcast, which is available on Apple and everything else. Um to talk about certain things. And one thing I haven't talked about at all is OCD. Uh, I've been doing a little bit of research. I didn't even realize, but it, it affects like one in 10 people. Uh, and it's something that is, uh, you know, the definitions are changing and what it is. And a lot of times when you think of OCD, you think of like, what about Bob? Like, you know, can't leave the door, can't leave the house without open, turn open, like these weird things that they have. And, you know, a lot of young people I talk to when I go on the road, I'm starting to realize probably have this or signs of it. And it's something that so can easily go misdiagnosed. Parents just say, oh, she's just nitpicky. Or, oh, he's just got this thing he does. Um, and a lot of times if it's left untreated or left un, you know, managed, it could 
turn into something, they'd be a lot bigger of an issue as you know, they grow up, go into college, and then the real stress starts happening. And so not long ago, I, I bumped into this gal local here. And like I said, when I do interviews, like I would much rather interview kids and, and young people, <laughs> you're not a kid yet, anymore, uh, that are young, that are in this, that uh, that have some real life um, situational uh, you know, experience with this. And so uh, today I have a 21-year-old college student named Tia Wilson. Tia lives here uh, not too far away from me. Um, and we've been chatting a little bit. And I said, hey, would you come in and talk about your experience with OCD? Um, and so joining me on the Colin Carter podcast today is Tia Wilson. Tia, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Uh, so just quick introduction. Talk about yourself. Um and where you are in life and uh, how this all happened, like where you were and what the OCD was and when you started realizing it, and let's just kind of go. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Utah, um, the oldest of five, and I've had just a lot of these quirks, you could say, quirks, <laughs> since yeah. I was really, really little. Oh. Um, so a lot of people think the OCD is just, you know, cleaning and like you said, the nitpickiness and um, there's actually a whole lot of different varieties and a lot of different threats. And my main threat as a kid was a form of religious OCD called scrupulosity. Scrupulosity. Now you call it a threat. What does that term mean? So a threat is just anything that you, I guess I should clarify that OCD is any sort of obsession and then compulsions to neutralize that obsession. Okay. So your obsession can be about anything, literally anything. anything. And we all have obsessions to a degree, right? There's all something that we're Maybe someone's like really afraid of earthquakes or someone else sure. is really, you know, everyone has these obsessions, these threats. Um, and we do these compulsions that neutralize that threat. So, you know, if you're scared of earthquakes, maybe you have, make sure you have a really good like 72 hour kit or, yeah. you know, you may take these precautions to kind of neutralize the fear that's associated with that obsession. Okay. Um, so everyone has those to a degree, but with OCD, they become excessive. Sure. And... They like to say OCD has sticky thoughts. These thoughts just keep coming, keep coming, and it's just all day. Um, and they can be about a variety of things. Um, and so I can go into a few of those different threats um, later on. But For just sure. kind of my story is like I grew up with mainly religious OCD. So my the threat there was like if I don't live religion perfectly, like I'm not a good person or I'll go to hell. Or, yeah. you know, there's all these religious implications of not being perfect. And so from a really young age, I was obsessed with being perfect. Yeah. Um, and that looked like, you know, I'd put myself in timeout at age four because you would put yourself in timeout. Myself in timeout. No way. Because I wasn't good enough. I wasn't doing it perfect. And I was four. Right. So it's just like a lot of this pressure to be this perfect, perfect person. And you remember, you remember that even at four doing that. It was super dramatic to be like, I'm not good enough or to, sure have to, I could hardly read. And I was having to read these long passages of scripture and, you know, be on my knees praying for hours when I was like five, like little, little. Um, and these just kind of progressed and I developed a few different types that we can talk about. Um, I've, I've kind of dabbled in every single threat that I know of, at least I've had experience with all of them. Um, and it wasn't until about a year and a half ago that I was talking to my dad and I was like, I cannot figure this out. Like, I don't know how people live. I'm like, how do you just get up and go to work? Or how do you just do these things? Cause there was just so much fighting against me every second of every day. I was like, how do you just be a person? I don't yeah. understand, you know? Um, and I was talking to him and I just had clear as day, the thought you have OCD. And 
I was like, that's so odd. And yeah. so I was like, I don't think I do because I'm a slob. Like I am a huge slob. <laughs> Look at my bedroom. That, there's like, no way I have OCD. There's no yeah. way. And it turns out that's actually because of OCD, which we can talk about too. So you can have OCD on not cleaning for being like, yeah. So like that's probably what I have then. Obsessively <laughs> dirty. Well, for me, it was like I needed it to be perfectly clean. And if I, I couldn't do 99%. Mm. So I might as well do none. And so it would just stay a mess, that you know? Sense. And so... Anyway, I was like, I don't have OCD. Like, I don't think, no. And I started researching it and I just remember sobbing, just being like, mm. wait, this isn't normal. Or just like seeing all of my problems all written out under one label was yeah. like insane. And so I made a promise to myself that I would never let it be a crutch and I would learn to fight it. And I went and did four months of intensive daily treatment. Wow. Um, yeah, so it was about three hours a day. There's some really good centers here in Utah, the OCD and anxiety treatment center. Okay. Um, and I did, you know, three hours a day for four months and it went from being really severe. So they usually score you out of, um, 40. It's a special test. I don't remember which university made it. Oh, Yale. Yale made this test to try to diagnose, you know, the severity mm -hmm. out of 40. I was, I think I was a 35 when I went in. So really, wow. really severe. I could not leave my apartment just beyond and i left um in the tens i believe that's so amazing just mildly and this was an inpatient mild. this was you doing work at home so this is outpatient yeah so you'd go for the three hours and then come home and okay. do two or three hours of homework yeah um yeah what was it re what i want to talk more about you know i'm gonna save that question for later because i want to talk about how that worked yeah. let's go back to when you were a, a kid so going into like the you know tween years and stuff like that how did how did this um manifest itself yeah. Into your day life, trying to be a kid, trying to be a tween, trying to be a teenager. So, because a lot of us feel pressure. I mean, if, if, for those of us who go to church, I don't care what church it is, like right. you, we all feel like this pressure to be better, to, that we're not good enough. Definitely. And that's something that obviously a lot of people experience in any kind of religion, right? Right. Uh, so, how did you, uh, how did you see this manifest itself as you were growing up? So, it's funny because it was widely praised, you know? It was like, she is so spiritual and she is so dedicated yeah, to the church, you know? Um, and it was Look at same. her praying for five. My daughter's five. She prays for five hours. Yeah, how long does your pray for? Awesome. Uh, three seconds. And some of it I knew was extreme. And so I would hide it. I was really good. And that's actually really common with those. You're really good at hiding it. And so if I would, you know, do something that I knew was a little bit weird, like I knew it was weird to be praying that long, I would hide it and disguise it as something else. Um, really? And so it was... Yeah, a lot of my different obsessions and things were widely praised and my parents didn't notice. They knew that there was like something holding me back. Yeah. But we had no idea what it was. Yeah. Um so it was, you know, for the religious ones, it was widely praised for the um maybe it'd be helpful to talk about the different threats. Let's so do, yeah, let's talk like about those. You said there's a bunch, obviously. There is a bunch. So yeah, it's funny, it can really grab onto anything and often it grabs onto what you care about most. Yeah. Right. And so for me that was religion and um, probably my second biggest threat is what's called harm OCD. Harm OCD. Harm okay. OCD. And it's a fear of causing intentional or unintentional harm to yourself or others. Mm -hmm. So that can be manifest in like a lot of different ways. I bet, yeah. um, it can be like you're just worried about hurting someone's feelings. So you apologize and say thank you profusely and yeah. are overly concerned. A lot of people can get in toxic relationships and whatnot because they're just people pleasing. Um because they have this fear and this responsibility for others. It can manifest toward the environment. You have to, you know, live this perfect yeah. life so that you don't harm the environment. Um, 
I probably the biggest instance of harm OCD in my life was I was in high school and I slid off the road and I went back. It was really late at night. I went back with a shovel and started knocking people's doors, asking if they had salt. And I started chipping away at the road in the middle of the road. Um, because wow. I felt like if someone slid off, it was going to be my fault. Oh my god! You know, gosh. it's this responsibility. And so I, I, this car actually almost hit me and it was super dangerous. Um, and not my job. Right. Yeah. But OCD tells you it is. And if someone dies, it slides off the road and dies. Like that's on you for wow. not fixing it when you knew. Um, and so it can be a lot of, a lot of it's unintentional. Some other people feel like, you know, they'll watch crime shows where someone has a psychotic break and they're like, what if that happened to me? And so they avoid knives or anything that could be used as a weapon, even though they're the last people who would ever hurt anyone. Um, yeah, a lot of different ways that harm OCD can be manifest. So that's probably a lot of that. uh, And a lot of that, I could see how that could be so confusing because a lot of that just sounds like just being like a really, really good person. Right. You know what I and mean? like I said, it's totally praised. Everyone's <laughs> yeah. like, you are so sweet to be so concerned about how Why I'm are you feeling? picking up all the litter at this, on the side of the right? freeway? <laughs> Is this your job? No, I just don't like it. And yeah, so I could see how that could be really confusing. So there's kind of a, there's gotta be a line there, obviously. Yeah. And I think the line is the intention behind it. Sure. Right. So if someone's just out doing that to be nice, that's one thing. When it's, when anything's driven by fear, I yeah. think it causes a red flag in my mind. Okay. And OCD is driven. There's a few different things that can be driven by. It can be driven by disgust, fear. Um, Sounds like we're li- watching the Inside Out Disney. Yeah. <laughs> disgust, fear, fear, anger. It's probably all those, yeah, huh? Or joy, really, or really makes you happy. Be driven. It never makes you happy. Um, Interesting. If something is, if you're doing something because you like it, it is not OCD. So if you're going out there just picking up because you you get you the like serotonin nope. and the endorphins, you're like, this makes Not me feel better. No. And so okay. that's a misconception because it's so funny. They often use the word satisfying. Yeah. You know, like this is OCD so satisfying. satisfying. So satisfying. OCD is never satisfied. That makes it so It takes much away sense. the feeling of satisfaction, the feeling of just right. Yeah. Nothing ever feels calm or just right. There's always something interesting. So even if you line up your papers perfectly and make it perfect, there's something. You never feel this like, ah, oh, look how nice it is. It's all, okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of what OCD is, is it's this constant chase of that. You're chasing for this, you know, finally I fixed it. I made it perfect. And you, your brain tells you it's going to come. You're yeah. going to just, just do one more thing and then it will be perfect. And you keep doing one more and thing. And it never is. And huh? it never is satisfying. You know, I was on the web, I was on a website reading up about this. And one of the interesting things it said is this is uh, treatment can help, but this condition can never be cured. Yeah. So, so it's, it's just about managing management. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So let's talk about some other of these threats. What yeah. were some of the ones? So I mentioned scrupulosity. Um, I mentioned it in the context of religion, but this can be in any School, context. School, I bet, right? Relationships, so, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So scrupulosity is just a fear of being moral, perfectly moral. Oh, okay. So it can be like, you know, I just want to be a good person. You know, it doesn't have to have any religious context. A lot of time when it does have religious context, it's, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to disappoint God. Sure. But it can just be, I don't want to live an immoral life. You know, I want to have this perfect morality that no one can fully ever achieve. You know, yeah. if you, even if you're like, I'm not going to drink dairy because I, I want to, you know, help the animals. Yeah. Well, then almond milk comes from, you know, a lot of undeveloped countries and there's harm there. You know, there's no way to be perfectly Almonds moral. are sucking the water right? out of the ground. <laughs> I read somewhere it takes like a gallon a day yeah, per almond. It does. It's ridiculous. So it's like, no matter what you do, you can't be perfectly moral and OCD just feeds on that. Um, Question. How much do you think of that was just what you heard growing up going to church? Because a lot of people go to church and they'll feel like that. Yeah. 
I mean, obviously it's a disorder, but do you think any of that was sparked by just how so, religious your own family was and how intense they were right. with religion? Um, the thing is with OCD, it's genetic. Mm. Um, and so I would have had OCD whether it was manifest toward religion or something else. Sure. Yeah. But it chose religion just because that was what I was surrounded with. That's what I cared about. Um, that's what it was talking about. So if about. your family was atheist, it would have channeled itself into something else, yeah, right? I Recycling. Could have, I could have still had the scrupulosity sure. just about morality. You know, yeah. it's it often feeds on what you care about, which is, you know, we see this a lot in postpartum, like mothers right after yeah. birth, they'll get OCD because it's about their baby. You know, they want their baby to be perfectly safe. Yeah. Um, and they'll be worried about, oh my gosh, I shouldn't give them a bath because what if the bath water is like exactly one degree off and hurts them? And they hyper focus, focus and fixate on their child's well being. Wow. And so, like a lot of parents at the center, I saw a lot of like brand new parents, moms and dads, yeah. um, who now have this OCD toward their child. And it just grabs onto what you care about. And so, I do think um, growing up in a very religious environment, I don't think it caused it, but it did pat it on the back. It channeled it kind of. Yeah, yeah. it was like it channeled it and it was like, this is good. This is yeah. praised, you know, and it wasn't seen as an issue when I would go and confess to my parents or to a religious leader all the time about dumb little things. They're that, like, Tia, chill out. You don't need to come yeah. here. And you don't need to go to confession and tell us that you like sneezed in the car. Really? Too like, loud. But they and they're just like, I don't know why you're doing this. And so yeah. that's kind of why I have gone on this mission of awareness is how great would it be if a religious leader knew more about it and could be like, Hey, you don't need to come in every week. Like let's figure out yeah. a therapy for you. Right. I can imagine how huge that'd be. Yeah. Um, a few other threats are contamination. Yep. That's Germs probably the stuff, one right? most people know about. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and it can look all sorts of ways. Um, that's one that I knew was going to be perceived. I had it, but I knew it was going to be perceived as weird by others. And so that's when I hid, I would, how would you, what, what was your obsession with, uh, clean, was it cleanliness? Was it washing your hands? Was it like not touching stuff? What was it? All of it. So yeah. contamination is fear of contaminating, contaminating yourself or others. So it can be about germs, yeah. environmental contaminants, bodily fluids, animals, Kissing items, other people. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. And so I would just, you know, try to hand sanitize what I thought was a normal amount and, they just didn't see I wasn't touching things as much or, you know, a lot of this stuff can be totally hidden and it doesn't sure. always look like a lot of people think like Adrian Monk, who's like hand sanitizing every two minutes. And yeah. It doesn't always look like that, um, but it definitely can. And that's a, another threat is contamination. Um, perfectionism yeah. is another threat. It can be, you know, perfectionism in your outside environment. But for me, it was internal mostly, you know, I would for sure worry about writing things perfectly and whatnot, but I was also really worried about living perfectly and how I was being perceived. I didn't want to be perceived as anything less than perfect. And so, you know, I was like 13 and like so concerned about like how I was looking to others. And I think, I mean, that's a lot of that can be common with teenagers sure, in general, right? Yeah. But it was definitely fostered and um, exacerbated by the OCD. Just, you can't be perfect, but OCD tells you you can if you just do one more thing, you know? Sure. Um, and then again, like you said, there's no ever feeling of, I got there. It's always just a constant yeah. chase no, and definitely. disappointment. Yeah. Um, a few other kinds. So I'm just rattling. This a bunch is good. Off. Yeah. I'm, I'm um, taking notes, but I, yeah, I think it's important people know. Cause like when I was, when I thought I had OCD, I was like, no, can't be. Cause I didn't know that these other threats existed. Right. Yeah. Um, so relationship OCD, this is manifested as kind of like a, you know, they, 
perfect. They're always worried they're not in the perfect relationship. Yeah. So they can be really nitpicky or toxic of trying to be like, I think he's cheating when he's not, you know, and really fearful about their partner's loyalty, um, their partner's habits. They're always thinking, am I in the best relationship for me? Yeah. Um, and it can cause a lot of problems. Um, isn't that just normal relationship stuff no. though? Like, isn't that what every relationship goes through though? Um, yeah, like to a degree, but when it becomes so fear focused that yeah. they aren't enjoying or they're, you know, maybe things aren't as passionate as normal and instantly they're like, something's wrong. This is the wrong relationship. Yeah. They leave, you know? Um, so are some of those compulsive behaviors if like in this relationship type thing. So let's say that you're in a relationship with someone and uh, you just obsess with this thought that they're always going to leave you or cheat on you, things like that. Mm -hmm. Some of these compulsive uh, compulsions could be, look like anything though, right? I mean, it yeah. could be like you start drinking or you start, yeah. you know, watching too much of some TV show. Definitely. Uh, Self-harm. And so a lot of the time the compulsions are treated as not as symptoms of a big problem, but yeah. as the problem, right? Yeah. So a lot of like addicts, like you mentioned, like... You know, they're like, oh, well, treat your addiction. They relapse right away because yep. it's not about the addiction. You it know? never was. Yeah, that's a grounding method to try to get away from their fears. Yeah, that's um, such a good point. Yeah, so, yeah, a lot of the time that happens, though, they'll treat just the yeah. the symptom. They're like, oh, you wash your hands too much. Let's take away your your soap or Let's whatever. Put gloves on, take away soap, and then Next they'll just thing you know, they find a different else, way. Or, you know. And your OCD can switch forms throughout your life, so... As a kid, I had a lot of symmetry OCD, which is wanting to make sure everything's symmetrical, the way I stepped, the way I did things. Um, and like that went away. Some people have that come back. You know, it, it can just ebb and flow throughout your life, depending on what's most important to you and what your OCD is getting fulfillment through. Yeah. Um, yeah. What did your parents, let's talk about how your parents, um, I know you said you didn't really mention it until just like a year ago to them. Yeah. After you had that conversation, did they have that like, oh my gosh, I totally saw this. Like, yeah. what was that? What was that conversation like? There was a lot of blame. My parents felt a lot of shame. On to them. Yeah. For not mm -hmm. catching it. Yeah. Um, and for praising it, you know, they were yeah. like, we totally supported this and we're pushing for you to continue it, you know? Um, and so there was a lot of that and it took a while for us to get through that. And, you know, I, I never blamed them for it, Yeah. you know? Um, but they could kind of see some of the, the signs, but a lot of it, they had no idea. Yeah. They had no idea I'd been praying that much as a kid. Yeah. You know, they didn't see that because I would do it sneakily. I would do it during a movie. I'd do it anytime. Such a rebel. Really? <laughs> What's your daughter doing over there? She's just praying. She's just longer. praying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but they wouldn't see a lot of the compulsions. They didn't especially see the pain that went on behind the scenes. Um, I So when I was 13, I... I'd kind of made myself so sick from all the OCD. I was trying to live perfectly. I sprained my ankle and realized that suddenly I had an excuse to not live perfectly. Right. Like mm. I was like, Oh, this works. And I think subconsciously I've only recently realized this subconsciously. Um, I think that's why I developed severe chronic health issues. So when I was like 13, I was in a wheelchair. Um, whenever I left the house or bedridden, like for a number of years, it was nine years of really, wow, really sick. Um, so was it the stress of managing this? Yeah. You, and it was all real stuff. Like you weren't just Definitely. like, I'm going to just sit in this thing because it makes no, me no, feel no. better. Like I had the stress had actually created a physical problem and I was getting these crazy diagnoses that, you know, they're like, these are never going to go away. Wow. Um, just chronic, chronic pain. Um, 
And I think it was definitely subconscious of me trying to, to cope with it. Sure. And so I think my parents, they really started to see the benefits only after I started treatment. They were kind of like reluctant. They were like, we've tried therapy before. Yeah. Um, and actually most therapy makes OCD worse if it's not specific to OCD. Really? How so? Um, a lot of it is reliant on reassurance and using logic and OCD twist those. So yeah. if you try to tell someone with OCD, like, oh, don't worry about it. You don't need to wash your hands. You're not going to get sick. It makes OCD worse. Yeah, I can see that. Um, and that's what therapy is a lot of the time, you know, and that's great for anxiety mm -hmm. and that's great for a lot of other conditions, but for OCD, it made it worse. And that, that was my experience. I went to therapy and got way worse. Made it worse. How old were you when you went to therapy for the first time? I was, I think 13. 13. Um, and so dealing you, with all the chronic pain. And so, yeah. you know. And we talked about this before we hit record where um, I was reading the, I just went to psychiatry.org and it said uh, OCD is an, an, an anxiety disorder. And you said that's changed now. Yeah. It's no longer classified as an anxiety disorder because a lot of people with OCD don't experience anxiety symptoms. They can yeah. experience disgust or like I said, a number of other emotions. Um, and it manifests completely different than an anxiety disorder. They often go hand in hand. They are comorbid. Yeah. Um, and so you can have both. I have social anxiety and I have OCD, mm -hmm. um, but they're totally different and the treatment is totally different. And um, so my parents were like, I don't know that we want to go back to therapy and spend all this money Yeah. when in the past it's made it worse. Um, sure. But after a few weeks, they could kind of start seeing the difference and they could see the difference in my physical pain too. Suddenly my health problems like lightened up and I think it was totally subconscious. Were some of the, some of the health problems, you don't have to go into detail, Yeah. but was it like exterior stuff like soreness was it like so, gut issues was it like migraines like how did it manifest all, <laughs> all of it all of it so like I what about bob different... he was always like <laughs> sick or thinking he was yeah. sick you know yeah so i had um a form of really severe arthritis wow um a lot of different diagnoses a cartilage issue um a lot of gut problems which ones a were lot. the worst do you remember um ankylosing spondylitis Whaty, whaty, what? Which is the severe arthritis where my, my spine fused together. Um, and and, it, and this was not injury related. This was no. literally something that was happening in the mental health aspect. Yeah. So I mean, that is genetic, physical. right? Oh, and right, and they, yeah. what they say is like, you know, all, you have the genetic predisposition to, you know, a lot of different illnesses, right? And you have the, you have the predisposition, right. but a lot of the time the stress can be the thing that triggers that. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people have the genetic predisposition and never get it. Right. But mine was triggered super early, r ridiculously early. Um, and yeah, just a lot of all over pain. But I think when my parents started to see the, the effects of the therapy is when they finally understood because yeah. before they were just thought, Oh, that's Tia. And when they started to see the difference between she's Tia, just this way, she, this yeah. is how she is. She just, she just cares too much. Yeah. So whatever. yeah. <laughs> when they started to see the difference between me and separate it from my OCD, they started to realize that it was a problem and they started to see the pain behind it. Yeah. Can we talk about before we get into how the treatment worked, but can we talk about like middle school, high school? Yeah. How did you see this effect? What, what were the things that, like you said, exasperated this. I mean, it's already a very hard time to be in middle school and high school mm -hmm. today. Um, and when you think about things like OCD with perfectionism and things like that with its scrupulosity, obviously things like social media and friend groups and school and pressure can probably make that even way harder. Um, but talk to me about like going through middle school, high school. Like how did you, what was it like for you? It was really hard. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of 
you know, those little obsessions and little compulsions that people didn't see. I would worry I'd be going down the hall and I'd think, should I be going down the other hall? Like maybe there's a reason I should be going down the other hall and I'd turn around and I'd be late to class and I'd, you know, take, it took me about an hour to get home from a 15 minute drive because I would be worried about which route to take. And maybe there's someone I'm supposed to help or I'd, I'd pick up people on the side of the road who look like they needed to ride. I was putting myself in danger because I was worried about other people to a debilitating extent. Because if you pass them and they got hit by a car, then yeah, your OCD is telling really you this is my help, fault. Yeah, or they really needed help or they, you yeah. know, they needed a friend. Um, and I would really struggle in school because I, if I couldn't be number one or couldn't be 100% perfect straight A's, it wasn't enough. And, you know, I would rather have an F than an A minus somehow in my brain. Really? It's like I would rather fail because then I can think of a reason why I failed sure. and be able to make excuses for it more. Like, Oh, I didn't show up. So that's why I failed. Yeah. Right. Instead of being like, Oh no, that's on me. Yeah. Um, and so I was really struggling. I really struggled with grades and, um, but you were smart though. I mean, you could have got yeah. the A's, A minuses, no problem. And I like a lot of the time I ended up doing just that, you know, I was really good at, um, pulling through, but I was in a lot of pain. Yeah. Um, and it would, manifest in every single facet i mean everything were you on any kind of medication like pain medicines and things like that was that bad i was on a pain medicine that doubled as an antidepressant it's Mm. a nerve depressant and an antidepressant Mm. um and it definitely saved my life in a lot of regards um but yeah i was still like debilitatingly depressed um ocd often flips between if you do have a depression it will flip between depression and nail ocd yeah so sometimes i would urge myself into a depression just to have release of the ocd symptoms sure it's interesting how your brain just can flip flop like that um but yeah it was very a really hard time for me in junior high and high school and um people saw i think my parents and teachers saw there was something going on but they're like it's her chronic health maybe like we don't really know um and yeah like I said I have my my parents especially my mom really beat herself up about it like oh I should have caught this I should have known and in reality there's no real way um I hope though that any parents listening to this who are noticing any of these symptoms in their children can try to urge them toward treatment in a way that's helpful for them I think the biggest thing for me that was so helpful is that my parents let, paid for the treatment and then they were hands off about it. Let the experts do their job yeah. without my, trying to be like, what am I paying for? Like, right. it sounds like they're just being your friend. You yeah. Know, stuff like that. Yeah. And you know, I saw my therapist was awesome. She's like, let me call on your parents and just upfront from the beginning be like, I'm her therapist. You don't give her exposures. That's what we, we can talk about that treatment. Okay. She's like, you don't give her therapy. Um, and that was one of the biggest things for me. And I, I get messages all the time of, middle school and high school aged kids saying my parents won't pay for therapy. They don't know how bad it is. And yeah. I'm, I'm so hurting. Yeah. Um, and a lot of kids are trying to figure out ways to pay for themselves. Like 14 year olds are paying for their own therapy. And I, I give them the resources to know how to do that and to get cheap and free therapy. And, um, but that's not, nothing a kid should have to be. No. And not when it's that expensive either. No. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would urge parents just to listen when their kids have a problem, listen and, you know, it might seem like it's something that can be fixed at home, but you know, you never know. And so I'd always say whenever possible, like try to, you know, let them meet with a therapist. And, um, if they're advocating for a form of therapy, they're asking for and needing, you know, do anything you can to support that. And, um, 
in my mind, it was, I mean, it was a financial strain. It was, you know, expensive. Um, but it was an investment that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be able to have a job now. Oh, for right? sure. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of really awesome forms of free or cheap therapy out there. I always keep a list of those. Um, and if anyone ever messages me for them, I'm really quick to send that on. Awesome. Um, I'll but, definitely send that to, at the end for sure. Yeah. It's where kids, a lot of, a lot of teenagers listen to this who are in that boat. Yeah. And the interesting thing as parents, now parents, you know, we try our best, but the interesting thing with parents is that when something isn't visual, like mm -hmm. they're like, there's, there's not a problem, right? right? You could have, you could have, uh, you know, gotten a car crash and then, you know, see you have a broken ankle and there's no questions asked. It's just straight to the ER. It's not like, well, maybe it's in your head, right? Yeah. It's none of that stuff. And uh, that's why I hope is uh, we talk more about mental health and we talk more about this stuff that, that we realize that like it is, we will spend any amount of money on our kids' physical abilities, but like, what about the mental side? Definitely. Right? You yeah. know, we'll spend 200 bucks on a pair of basketball shoes, but we won't spend 200 bucks to put them in some therapy sessions. Like, come on, yeah. people, right? No, definitely. Let me ask one more question about young, about you growing up and we'll go into the, the treatment. Um, how did this manifest itself or, or how did you deal with, like, did it affect how did it affect you with friends? Like, um, you know, so much of high school is like your friends and your friend group mm -hmm. and, you know, parents are kind of pushed to the side and now you're kind of dealing with wanting to be more around your peers. Um, how, what was your experience with friends, like dealing with this and maintaining friendships and going from group to group and parties and school and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, I was really good at making friends and I think I had a hard time. I wonder why. Time. Maybe because you're always <laughs> like, I need to bake you cookies today because if I don't, like no one will and that's on me. Really though. <laughs> but I think a lot, that's true. I think a lot of it was driven by this like fear. Yeah. Um, that's no way to make friends, you know, and I would make these friends, but it was hard um, a lot of the time to develop these deeper relationships because I had a lot of fear about that. And I, what, what do you mean by that? Like I uh, would worry about not being good enough good of a enough friend or something of a or friend or about, you know, maybe I'm being too pushy or they don't yeah. like me at all. So OCD comes with a lot of intrusive thoughts, Yeah. you know? Um, and so I'd get a lot of those like, oh, I'm, no one likes me at all. Oh. Um, or I'm just crazy or really weird. And I would kind of isolate a lot of the time to try to cope with, I kind of describe it as just like an overly stimulated environment. There was too much stimulus. As a distraction? Is that what it was? Or so isolation was a way to ground myself oh, from gotcha. it. Yeah. You know, there was way too much going on in my head from everything. So I'd get on my phone a lot and just like watch TV. Yeah. Because that was the only time my my thoughts would be quiet. Kind of numb out. Yeah. Yeah. And so I spent a lot of my teenage years just numbed out and missing a lot. Mm -hmm. Um and you know, in hindsight, I think I got therapy when I needed therapy. I think if I got it earlier for me only just this is not true for everyone, but for me, I just was not in a place to accept it. Yeah. Um, I was too hurting. Um, and I was able to get therapy when I was like, I'm ready for it. And that's, I think that's true with all conditions. You should never force anyone into therapy. They will know when they need it. And, you know, I think it's great with kids to give them a first session. So you go to one session, but if after that, they're really just not there yet, I think that's okay. Sure. Um, and yeah, back then I wasn't there for it, but I had, I think the biggest thing was guilt. Mm. Um, just so much guilt for not being enough, not for my thoughts. Um, I just took full responsibility for any thought that popped in my head, even if it was atrocious and OCD comes with some pretty atrocious sure. intrusive thoughts. Um, two forms of OCD that are not very often talked about, but can be really, really difficult are 
POCD and HOCD. So POCD is pedophilia OCD. Mm. Um, and those people are not pedophiles. Let's clarify okay. really quick. Yeah, not what does that at all. Mean? Yeah. But what it means is they have this fear of what if I am. And so it's That's an actual thing. Wow. Yeah. And it's really common in parents. Um, wow. Because it's something they care about is their kids. And so they'll worry like they'll be changing a diaper or just something so normal. Yeah. And they'll letting be their kids like, sit on their lap, things yeah. like that. Yeah. And they're like, oh my gosh, like what if I'm a horrible person for this? They read into it. Um, you know, any little thing. And so that's really debilitating. And it happens a lot of the time, like I said, postpartum. Yeah. Um, a lot of moms experience it like they're like, I'm am I horrible for, you know, taking care of my baby or all yeah. of these little things that aren't they're not that's totally normal. Sure. Right. Um, another form HOCD is heterosexual OCD or homosexual OCD. There's also heterosexual OCD. Okay. Um, and it's the fear that you've misidentified your sexuality. Interesting. Um, so someone who's straight has this fear. What if I'm secretly gay? Yeah. And it's not so much, you know, that fear could be then my relationships are ruined. There could be a religious aspect. It could be, you know, I just have lied to myself about who I am and I'd have to have this whole coming out and the same thing happens with gay people. They're like, what if I came out and I'm not actually gay, sure. yeah. you know? Um, and so those are two forms that are really common actually, but not very often talked about. And I think those were two that I was the most relieved to hear weren't just me, Yeah. you know, um, because they were terrifying. I was like, well, you know, um, and so I felt a ton of guilt. And that's one thing I noticed too in my advocacy on Instagram is, um, Group therapy was one of the most helpful things for me. I bet. And a lot of people don't have that resource where they live. And so um, a lot of people, I get a lot of messages like, oh my gosh, like the the release of the guilt. OCD feeds on the guilt and the shame and the secrecy. And so just hearing someone else admit that they have the same intrusive thought as you or they have the same obsession as you is the most healing thing. I bet. And that was something I was really missing um, because I wasn't talking about it. Did that did that weight off the back feeling? Did that happen your first group counseling, coaching? Is that when yeah. it all kind of, that was just not that long ago yeah. either? Yeah, um, it happened when I first read about it, actually. I was uh, like, oh my gosh, like I'm not alone. And I yeah. wish I had told someone earlier. Yeah. But you know, the problem is a lot of these people, when they if they tell someone, if they try to describe, like I said, even um, POCD, yeah. That's really taboo and is often really misinterpreted, you know, um, or harm OCD. They're like, I'm worried I'm going to stab someone. Someone's like, oh my gosh, you're like a serial killer. Yeah. In reality, they're the last person who would ever stop oh, someone, sure. yeah. you know, but it's often misinterpreted. So a lot of people don't talk about it. And I, I was nervous my first day of group therapy, but it was the most, the biggest release just like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. And I, I've seen that a lot on um, social media too of these people who don't have group therapy where they are and are able to see people like me or anyone yeah. else talking about their experience and be like, Oh, I'm not just I'm weird. Not this is a thing yeah. that more people have. Yeah. Um, I'm on this website, international OCD foundation. And when you yes. talked about that, especially some like the POCD, HOCD, and you talked about, uh, purity kind of one of the, one of the big subjects here talks about is unwanted sexual thoughts, forbidden uh, so some bullet points forbidden or perverse sexual thoughts or images forbidden or perverse sexual impulses obsessions about sexual orientation sexual obsessions that involve children so or incest that's obviously a big one yeah it, and, and one of the th- worst parts about pornography i think is that it's so capitalized on some of this stuff yeah I, I don't know if parents know this but like on the porn sites one of the number one searched is like mom stepmom mm-hmm. stepbrother that kind of stuff all this really taboo weird stuff um 
And so they obviously, you know, any, any opportunity the porn industry has to exploit or to manipulate or to hurt people, they will, right? Yeah, and it definitely, I think, makes it a lot worse. So sexual OCD is another yeah. threat. Is that just um, like sex addiction or is that something totally different? Totally different. Okay. Um, these people are not, they don't like it. <laughs> like oh, I said, it's not, yeah. in, it's not, these thoughts are not enjoyable. Um, sometimes they have like, when, when anything's sexual in nature, our bodies can have like a sexual response to them. Sure. But often it's something that's, that's so not what they want. Yeah. Um, is that, is that the wife who's like, I hate sex. I it just, I hate doing it. It's such a not chore. Not necessarily. Yeah. Um, it can be, people can go in either direction. Some people can become sex addicts Some sure. a lot of us don't. Um, and I think it's more just like, you're just having a lot of these thoughts. And I think the, the main issue is that you take responsibility for them. Yeah. And I think that's something that's also preached in religion too, right? Yeah. You know, like, oh, if you've, if you lust after someone, it's as if you'd committed this sin. Um, and with OCD, you're not in control of these thoughts. So you'll have this weird, like, yeah. you're just like, Ugh, or you'll hug a brother or a sister or a friend. And then your brain's like, oh, was that inappropriate? Yeah. Um, and, you know, you're just constantly kind of questioning your morality with it. Yeah. Um, and that one can be really debilitating, especially, you know, I like in junior high and high school when you're like, just trying to figure yeah. who out, who you like and exactly. you have these weird and you're just like, what's going on? Junior high dances and those things. Yeah. Like, gosh. Yeah. One thing I think uh, is why um, I'm, I push so hard with like, especially young guys and girls that are struggling with pornography uh, or viewing it a lot. And they know they're having issues because a lot of times it's like anything when it's in the darkness like that, you know, there's always a feeling yeah. of guilt. Um, learning, a cycle where you're where you're learning about intimacy and sex in a guilt-ridden way and then not not getting that fixed, not treating that, mm -hmm. not talking about that and then being married and yeah. then going into marriage yeah. is a horrible situation to be in. Definitely. Where your only experience from 12, 13, 14, all the way to, to the point you're married is whenever I see intercourse or sex or anything like this is I feel awful. I feel guilty because mm -hmm. I did it in such a shame guilt way by watching it hidden secret, things like that. And so I don't know if this is off topic, but I just wanted to share that, that that's why such, such, so important. I think, especially for your teenagers that if you're struggling with it, um, to talk about it, to, talk you know share like you're saying to get that off your back and then realize because if you go into a marriage where you know your beautiful spouse partner wife husband whatever is like okay really into intimacy and and every mm -hmm. time you're intimate you feel weird you feel guilty because you've got this connection that every time i've felt these feelings i felt awful about it later and i've hated myself about it later like you don't want to bring that onto your spouse into your marriage yeah. at all and a lot of those feelings you're talking about are really common with sexual ocd they'll be you know, in a marriage and have sexual contact and feel like a ton of guilt and yeah. feel a ton of, oh my gosh, what if, or they'll even worry like, oh, what if I'm not doing it exactly right? Yeah. Or what if I'm not, you know, there's just so many little intrusive thoughts that can make, take any enjoyment out of it. Like I said, OC likes to suck any satisfaction out of anything. Um, and like you said too, the guilt definitely feeds it, yeah. you know? And a lot of those intrusive thoughts I had, like when I was little, I just like, I was like, oh, like, I hugged my friend and oh my gosh, what if we kissed, you know, and you're like five yeah. and you get, and you get so yeah. guilty. Um, and if I had just released that guilt, I think it would have been a huge world of difference, but OCD, you know, can't let you do that a lot of the time. Yeah. Um, going to group therapy and just like talking about things like that. And even if I wasn't talking, I would just hear someone else talk about like these things they're struggling with. And it was just, 
so so healing and um yeah ocd loves the secrecy just like pornography addictions do um and i think the problem is a lot of people who you know are looking at pornography a lot of the time it's because they take guilt at their own thoughts or they have this guilt beforehand that they try to release it through pornography which only worsens it right always um and so that's something you can see with ocd too people will have this guilt about these intrusive thoughts um the, probably the best thing I learned in therapy was separating myself from those thoughts and being like, yeah. okay. And non-judgmentally like having them pass through my brain, not trying to fight them. I think of it, I've heard it described as like, you have this really political cousin yeah, <laughs> who comes over and he just like wanted to fight and you can say, okay, you can sit on my couch. Yeah. I'm going to go do laundry. You can yell at me from the couch. Go but I'm going to go do laundry. scream and bloviate for a while. Get off your chest. Yeah. yeah. Just like, I'm just going to go do laundry. I'm going to like go about my life. Yeah. Um, and that's how I've kind of like confronted my intrusive thoughts. I don't try to fight them anymore. I used to, I used to try to pray them away and I yeah. try to fight and fight. And now I'm just like, that's weird. Okay. Continue on. Yep. I'm going to go about my day. And they stopped a lot of the time. Yeah. They would release. Cause they're like, okay, just like in a, a political cousin, if you're not going to listen, he doesn't want to fight, they'll you know, find, they'll find some other you know, soccer chump, yeah. <laughs> chump who will sit there and listen to their yeah. rant or they'll go even worse. What everyone does now is they'll go into their truck, put on their sunglasses and scream into their phone and post it <laughs> at Facebook live. Right. Right. Those are always a great way to express your feelings, right? Go scream. Oh, at your definitely. Phone. Definitely. So you've mentioned a couple of things about your therapy and about the treatment that works. So let's talk about it. So now your yeah. parents have teenagers. They're now going to this type of therapy. Parents are always afraid, right? Like, well, are you going to make it worse? You know, yeah. or are they going to come out this, or are they going to come out and like smoke weed? Or are they going to yeah. like, yeah. going to start wearing like a, are they going to be gay? Are they like the parents freak yeah. out about every therapy, right? Oh, definitely. So let's talk about what does the therapy look like? Yeah. So um, for something like the this, the main form of therapy is exposure response therapy. Yeah. Um, and that is basically where you take your threat. Um, so with OCD, it's like you have a false alarm model in your head. So normally you see a bear, right? Yep. You get scared, you run away. The next time you see a bear, you don't even have to think about the fear cause you're already running. Sure. Right. Yeah. That's how OCD works. It kind of feeds on this cycle um of the fear and every time you neutralize it so like running away would be a neutralizer right from and a bear is obviously a real example of a real threat but you run away that neutralizes it the next time you're there your brain teaches you that that's right so with ocd you know i'm i'm really concerned about having hurt my friend's feelings because i did something that wouldn't hurt anyone's feelings yeah (laughs) but i'm worried i hurt their feelings and so i have that fear i neutralize it by saying sorry yeah it's never enough i maybe say sorry like eight times Um, and next time the fear is worse. Yeah. Right. And so that's what OCD is. And it's a false alarm because it's not a bear. You know, it's something that's like a butterfly. Yeah. Um, and so what they do with exposure therapy is they stop it at the stage where you would neutralize. So instead of saying sorry, you don't, you know, and that seems super easy and you're just like, oh, so it's just, you just. Don't do what your thoughts. That's got to be you. hard if you're used to apologizing, it's saying so sorry hard. for everyone, like to the Canadian yeah. level of I'm saying sorry all the time. And the the thing is, it's just so rooted in fear. So it might be something silly sounding, yeah. but it's so rooted in fear. And so exposure therapy is just breaking those fears by doing things against them, and you build it in a hierarchy. Yeah. So you start with the easiest step toward it. So maybe it's like, okay, I'm not going to say sorry, and then maybe next time it's like, I'm going to purposely leave my cart at the grocery store. Yeah. And not go put it away. Ooh. And that's like going to be so detrimental to someone, right? <laughs> In your car bawling. I'm such a bad person. Really though? like, What if someone's so... filming this? <laughs> yeah. What so... if I'm on cart narcs? I know. <laughs> <laughs> but so you build it up in a hierarchy of 
one step at a time. And so then by the time you're at your biggest step, you know, it's no longer a huge deal. And so your brain learns, oh, I don't need to be scared of this. Yeah. And you do this with all your threats. And so it's terrifying. You're basically going and confronting your demons all day, every day. Um, this was the homework. So you went in three hours a day. So one hour would be group therapy. Okay. And then two hours would be exposures. Um, and that was in the class or something they say hey go out to own. a walmart and then go scream at the so, cashier and come back or something like that. yeah you'd have <laughs> a, a certified research assistant with you um and then you would do your exposures yeah so you know for a religious one it might be like okay we're just gonna um sit in a room and you're gonna have scriptures here and you're not gonna read them wow because even though like you have nothing better to do. So like you should, right. Yeah. You're yeah. not going to. Yeah. Um, and so you sit with a research assistant and you know, they manage your distress and they talk to you. And the thing is they give you a lot of tools. So you're not just like confronting your fears without any, you know, form of tools, but they don't reassure you. They never tell you it's going to be okay. Yeah. You know, they have you introduce the uncertainty of maybe, maybe I will go to hell, you know, and deal with that and feel that, right? Yeah. And, and and understand not try what that to feels push like. It away. Don't push it away. Let that thought come in while yeah. you go do laundry, right? So it was honestly the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I Every bet. day was. Um, Which was the hardest one? Do you remember? Like the most terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Doing a lot of my religious compulsions were yeah. really hard. So like some of them, they would just have me go out and do, you know, something that I so scrupulosity make a lot of rules for yourself. So wow. I just break some of those rules. <sighs> I would. You know, nothing crazy. I wasn't out like breaking any I said any the huge H word thing. once. <laughs> but really, a yeah, lot was I a bet. huge one was like swearing. Yeah. Um. And. Did they have like a group out loud? Like, Tia, your turn. Just start cussing, right? Or something. No. Like that. Um, but I would. That was one thing too. Was I was like, I'm going to leave this and like curse like a sailor. Right. Oh, yeah. In reality, all it did was give me my choice back. So now yeah. I have the choice whether I want to swear or not. Right. Yeah. Before I didn't have that choice, I was like ruled by fear. And so I think a lot of parents and a lot of people going into therapy are worried. I'm going to like become this crazy person of doing no. all these. I'm going to always leave my card out. I'm always going to, yep. you know, I'm going to be a horrible person. In reality, all it is, is you get your choice back. Um, and so the, like you mentioned, the International OCD Foundation, IOCDF.org um, has a database to look up exposure third, uh, Yep. exposure certified therapists because mm -hmm. like i said other therapy is not helpful the other option is talk therapy i and where you're just kind of learning and gaining insight into mm -hmm. why you feel and think these way um if you just went in and just talked about it without the ert stuff do you think it would have helped um or not no. nearly as much um so that's the therapy i tried before that yeah often made it worse and i think it just depends um but typically a lot of talk therapy is logic and yeah. reassurance and that's not what you need for ocd for sure. Um, so yeah, ERP is the main way. There's a few different ones if that doesn't work, but. And this was three months? Four months. Four months. Was that a set or do you just keep going until you feel good or is it? Yeah. They, you keep going until you're at a manageable distress level. There we go. Um, and. What's typical? Do you know? I feel like at that center it was around three months, yeah. but there are some people who like one of my friends jetted out in a month and he was like, I'm fine. And I ha he hasn't had OCD thoughts since. Wow. That's really rare. Yeah. Um, other people I know were there for like nine months. Like a, a mom I knew who was, who had little babies and was really struggling or, um, you know, there's just a lot of different cases. A lot of people, any time of high distress. So right after marriage or right before marriage, I saw a lot oh. of that right after a baby. Um, anyone who served like an ecclesiastical mission yeah. for their church, you any know, major, any life major change, change um, and stress, yeah. um, going into college, 
Um, yeah, and there's having, a few. Yeah, I can see having kids is a big one. That's that's just yeah. no one's ready for this at all. A lot of people have it. Early twenties is often when people find out about yeah. it. But there's also forms of pediatric OCD, like I mentioned, mine sure. super young. That's it's rare to be that young. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of it can spark overnight due to a strep infection. There's a form wow. called pandas where it's like overnight this new, this poor kid has OCD. Um, wow. And so, yeah, a lot of this is just really good for parents to to know. You know, sure. if they see these changes, that how should they have the conversation? I mean, yeah, I've got three girls and a boy, and my three girls, like you know, I'm gonna see and I see when they stress out about mm-hmm. grades, when they stress, and it's I'm not putting that pressure on them at all. I've told my kids like I don't care what grade you get, right? But they still they have they're born with these intrinsic like you know pressures and things they put on themselves. What what should that conversation look like? Yeah. Or let's do it this way. What should the conversation not look like? What yeah. would be the worst or the most unhealthy way to have a parent talk to you at that time when you were 13 and they saw this? Like, what are the th- terms absolutely don't say? What would just made it wor- uh, a lot worse? So, you know, with someone with anxiety, you can say things like, don't worry, like, it's going to be great. You're going to go yeah. and it'll be okay. And you'll notice that their distress goes down and they're able to do it. Yeah. If you have a kid who you keep saying that to and it's not going down, stop saying it. There we go. You know, do not do like that was the worst thing you could say to me. Yeah. Um, it makes those things so much worse. And someone's like, don't worry, you're not going uh, to hell. You're uh, awesome. You're, you're a good kid. You're man. awesome. Yeah. No. Um, and then when you're frustrated, because if, if parents throw those little stupid one liners at you. Yeah. Which I talk a lot of uh, on stage when I talk to parents, you just throw like, you're going to be fine. Grow out of it. You'll snap out of it. Shake it off. You know, there's other guys in the sea, whatever these little one liners are. It just keeps kids in that state of distress. Mm-hmm. And then you what you're doing is then you're creating frustration yeah. where your kid won't want to talk to you next time. Because every time yeah. they talk to you, you make them frustrated. <laughs> exactly. Right. This is a big reason why I don't really talk a whole lot to my mom anymore, because I've realized a few years ago that every interaction I have with her, she makes things worse. Yeah. Somehow to the point where I just finally say, you know what? I don't need that in my life. Right. Yeah. And so, so how should parents have that conversation? Um, don't try to fix it. Yeah. You know, you, even if you're trying to not do reassurance, like you're not going to fix it. And so I think that it's really healthy for your kid to find someone else outside of you to talk to as not as much as you yeah. want that relationship, you know, that can't be forced. And for me, like before I went through the OCD treatment center, I really, I had the worst relationship with my parents, not really the worst, but I, I had a really hard time talking with them about things. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't until after I got down my symptoms and was like in a better place where I could actually have those discussions without feeling just judged and yeah, judged or fear or, you know, and they're awesome. You know, it wasn't anything they were doing. Yeah. Um, but it was but there's so people who helpful. are trained to do this. Yeah, right? this is their job. This is their and job. They with go to OCD, school for this. They go to, you know, like yearly updates. They oh, yeah. aren't just like going to school once. They're going and learning about OCD and new changes. And um, yeah. it's so vital that they have that. Um, so I have a lot of parents who, you know, I think it's really great for parents to nudge toward therapy Yeah. Um, and say, you know, hey, I'll I'll pay for this if it's something you'd like to do. I'd like for you to yeah. go once and see a lot of therapists or parents will send their kids just to my Instagram and not say anything. Just be like, read what she says. Or just like, Oh, this is a cute picture you should look at. And then, you know, the caption associated. And yeah, um, I think it's really good for kids to have an outside person besides you as much as you want to change it. What's the worst thing could happen if you send them to one session and they come back like, I don't really like that. Okay. Yeah. That's it. (laughs) Versus, uh, the best part that could happen is that like with you, where it's like, oh my gosh, like I need this right now so bad. Yeah. This is going to really help me change my life, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think some of my parents were awesome. They would, 
I it was an hour drive to the, the center oh, wow. I went to. Where was it? It was in Bountiful. There's one in South Jordan too. Okay. Um, what, and we can share it because I mean none of this is yeah. sponsored or anything. It's but the OCD and Anxiety Treatment Center. They literally just call it what they it is. Call it, and it's <laughs> the Center for Kids really awesome. Who Can't Read Good. Yeah. Yeah. They also so do. What, what was it called again? The OCD, the Center OCD for- and Anxiety Treatment Center, and so okay. they treat anxiety and OCD, and they treat a lot of the comorbidities like. Um, Tourette's is comorbid with OCD a lot. I bet. Um, they treat body to um, body dysmorphic disorder, good, which is really commonly with OCD too. They treat a few ADHD is really common with OCD. I bet. They treat a lot of the combinations and the intricacies of it, and they are just really really good at it. I've, awesome. I haven't found a center anything close to that. Very good. Um, and the and the groups were usually how big? How, like we need a group. So, it would be anywhere from like seven to twenty. Cool. Um, and at first I was like, I do not want to go share my in, like intimate details these with these strangers, yeah. but going was the best decision ever. And Good. these people are, you know, lifelong friends. If I ever had a relapse, um, in my OCD symptoms, I know exactly who I could call yeah. and they would tell me what to do and never <laughs> reassure me. Um, that's so fun. It's yeah. They do a really good job there. And I think, um, my parents were so awesome to drive me. They would drive me in the mornings yeah. cause I was, I'm really tired in the mornings and they yeah. would drive me and let me sleep in the car and they wouldn't ask about how it was sometimes they just be like how was your day mm-hmm. a lot of the time they just let me be silent on the drive home and it was you know that sponsored me to or like created an environment where i could talk sure. you know if i wanted to i'd be like okay let me tell you what happened it was horrible other times i just stay quiet and i i so value that they gave me that space i love that it was so so in good the car me. to be able to either talk or not talk or just share i yeah, think i think they never asked i mean I, maybe they did that on purpose maybe like you know there's one down the road but like we need an hour drive to like <laughs> let her open up and deep you know kind of decompress after share thoughts it was great stuff and like that. yeah i loved that they never pried they never said should you be doing an exposure on this or yeah. you know they never and they just let me take the reins and because they did that I had the space to come into them and be like, Hey, I need help with this. Or mm-hmm. will you help me? Um, X, Y, and Z instead of just feeling like they were trying to fix it because they can't, yeah. you know, and that's a hard thing for parents to accept, but you can't with a lot we of these mental fix di- everything, disorders. You but, can't. <laughs> you know, no one taught us this. Yeah. I, I, I didn't take anything, no training, no, no class, nothing about this at all. Yeah. And we, as parents, like we want to fix everything. We want to be able to fix everything in our kids. And a lot of the, a lot of it you can't, mm-hmm. and there's trained people, experts out there. Definitely. What was the best part of this whole journey for you? Um, so I you met know. my husband. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he had, he had Tourette's and he was swearing. <laughs> and I was like, I never swear. So now we're married. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, no, I, so like I said, growing up, I felt guilt mm. around these things like i did love church right sure but there was so much guilt there that i i lost that it was the fear of the wrath yeah as why you're doing it right yeah, i was i was there too I, I don't i don't think i have ocd maybe i do like the more you talk about it, i'm like maybe i have parts but i was a lot like that i was yeah. a very good kid growing up and a lot of us fear my dad's punishment my dad was a whacker he'd smack the you know yeah. not, not face yeah, but yeah. he could the guy could spank yeah like no one's business and a lot of the things I did was fear. I was, I remember, yeah. I remember once, so my mom, we couldn't drink caffeine growing up. Like we couldn't watch Simpsons. I mean, she was very, very strict. Yeah. And I obeyed rules because of the fear yeah. of the wrath. Like I thought God was like, had his like eyeglass on me, everything right. I did, Yeah. which is not a fun way to live. No. And I think all. a lot of people live like that. I'm, I try to talk on my page about OCD, but also about black and thinking in general, yeah. black and white thinking in general. Yeah. Um, 
you know, because a lot of us have that. And they actually have, they've done some studies that say OCD might be more closely related to PTSD than it is to anxiety. Wow. Because it has a lot of the same trauma elements. Um, wow. And yeah, so for me, you know, I had this, everything I did was out of fear and I, I loved God, but I, I followed him because I was scared. Yeah. Um, and Which it, I don't think that's what he wants. It's not at all. He doesn't no. want us to and it follow totally, out of fear. It totally tainted a lot of my experiences. And so I remember being in the OCD center and I was doing my biggest exposure I did there, you know, without swearing outside, um, <laughs> which so is cool. so funny. And my parents too were like, I don't know about this. Like, <sighs> she's I don't gonna know. Be a she's going to be mouth. a sailor mouth. But I was outside um, starting off writing a swear word and whispering it. So I was so scared. Oh, I bet. And I started writing it bigger until I was like yelling. <laughs> and inside the center my I friends just, were looking out I laughing at me <laughs> oh i wish i had it on camera my friends were like laughing out the window because they knew how big this was for me yeah and i just remember sobbing and for the first time in my life i felt mercy and grace wow. and um forgiveness for myself i felt self-love and all of these things i had been denying myself like the most awesome parts of religion the most awesome parts of god the most yeah. awesome parts of life are this 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 beauty and this forgiveness and I'm it's so ironic because I'm out there screaming as well and I'm <laughs> and just you've never like, felt closer I've never felt closer and I just wow. remember just feeling this huge release and I was like you know this is going to be a lifelong thing you know yeah. but I I have a taste of what it's like and it's it's something I still get to feel you know I still feel that now I can like do things because I want to yeah. I can read scriptures because I want to and not because I have to I can you know choose whether or not I want to swear now I can you know, all these things that I didn't have before. And I just remember feeling that and it would made it all of the money, all of the, all of the pain and the mm -hmm. fear, hundred percent worth it. I would trade mm -hmm. my right arm in hindsight. Like it was everything. My guest is Tia Wilson. You can follow her at Tortilla Wilson. How does the tortilla come in? This is interesting. Um, I've had just, to ask this little nickname. I don't remember who gave me the nickname. And tortilla. you have no Latina in you at all, right? I like don't. this is just yeah. You were saying before that Tia means is something like an Egyptian. Uh, in Egypt, means like princess or something. Yeah, always. yeah. But it's yeah, so if funny. anyone messages me there, I have created an OCD complete guide that kind of Very cool. details a lot of the therapy, a lot of the different threats, um, how you can afford it if you can't, yeah. my story, um, and I'll DM it to anyone who's interested. I love it. Um, I was going to ask you this off the record, but uh, we uh, have a foundation called Save the Kids mm -hmm. that we have re uh, acquired funding to, and what we're going to do with the funding, which is given so generously by a friend of mine who just said, Colin, I love what you're doing. Here's a big chunk of money and just do something with it. I know whatever it is. I'm not going to ask what it is. Just do it. And so we have a couple therapists on our team now, and we're in the middle of creating uh, curriculums that we can then create a center somewhere here in Utah County where kids can come in and get this stuff for free. I love that. Where we can have people like you come in and run a course like once a week for yeah. an hour and talk, hey, well, today we're talking about OCD and here's tortilla. Right. Here's T Wilson. Um, I, love that. I would love to have you on part of that team because the group we're going to have doing it are all either very, very young therapists or therapists in training. We have to have therapists on staff, of course, for to sure. be able to, you know, for the whatever. Um, but we want, we just want to do group coaching. One session is going to be on OCD and we're going to do some on that One we're going to do on anxiety. We're going to do on depression, suicidal thoughts. We're going to do one on the, you I know, eating everything, sleep, like just, yeah. cause like you said, it's just so it's, it's already hard enough for kids to ask for help. Because they don't know how, they don't want to disappoint their parents, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure when you have OCD, like you really don't want to disappoint. Oh, yeah. Right? If I tell my mom I'm a failure. And a lot of kids won't even ask to go to therapy yeah. because of the money 
because they if, know how much it is. Asked. Yeah, which I hate. I love America, but gosh, like, yeah, <laughs> how are we spending? <sighs> I'm not getting political, but how does every police officer in the country have a tank? And can dress like Iron Man, and like we don't like kids are <laughs> right. Fourteen year olds are self go funding their own therapy session yes. now. Like literally, yes. I've seen them. I've seen mm-hmm. kids fifteen on GoFundMe, like saying, "I need so I need help. Please help me. My family doesn't have one hundred fifty an hour, or whatever it is, two hundred hundred twenty. Yeah, I mean it is expensive. It's it like is. we have got like, and that's why I'm just like, why like. What if Jeff Bezos just like here's five billion? Like let's just pay for everyone's right? therapy for a year. Right? Like I'm still the richest oh, guy man. times ten, right? Uh huh. So God, if you're listening, if you let me win the Powerball and I win a billion dollars, <laughs> I promise you I'll keep like a million and give the rest to stuff like this. Yes. So I'll throw yes. that, throw that out there. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on. This is literally one of my favorite interviews. I'm not even kidding. I, I feel like thank we could you. talk about this. I've learned so much uh, with my guest Tia Wilson. You can follow her, get information from her at Tortilla Wilson on. Instagram. I hope this has been beneficial. It has for me and I hope to a lot of people who are listening. Uh, you can follow more about what I'm doing on uh, Instagram at uh, Colin Karchner or save the kids.us. Go home and give your kids a second hug. We'll see you next time.